0: Leak in the boiler room, the poor, the lame, the blind. Who were the ones that we kept in charge? Killers, thieves, and lawyers. God so quick, God so quick, God so business, business. God so quick, God so quick, God so business. Welcome to the Armageddon in Retrospect Podcast. Sorry, it's been a while. I'm um, back. And I'm finally after many failed predictions going to do an episode on Charles Taze Russell, the Taze as I like to call him, the founder of what are now known as Jehovah's Witnesses, but in his time was only known as the Bible Students. I think it's appropriate for this episode. Just hold on one second here. We're going to do a a drink pairing. Um Today's beverage is a 1914 New England IPA, brewed with Miracle Wheat, Pyramid Hops, and it's guaranteed to disappoint, just like Charles Taze Russell himself. That's not a real beer, that's some insider JW humor. Okay, before I get started, um, there's some books you should read, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um. I'm going to get, you know, some of this is coming from Jehovah's Witness publications. Uh, you could read those if you want to. The 1975 year book of Jehovah's Witnesses on the United States talks about Charles Taze Russell. They also have a whitewashed history book called The Proclaimers of God's Kingdom. Uh, and it's an extremely thick and heavy book. And it does contain some of the uh, blunders. <laughs> that were committed in the beginning of the religion but again it's very whitewashed and puts a positive spin on all of it um okay so non jehovahs witness publications uh i would especially read the book when prophecy fails by leon fessinger i believe he was the guy that came up with the expression cognitive dissonance um why that book well essentially um charles tate russell and the Jehovah's witnesses have repeatedly made made field predictions and sometimes people wonder why exactly would you stick with it under those circumstances so there's a book for you now as far as the um presidencies that i think are most interesting and most shape the organization um the first three which was charles Taze russell as already mentioned joseph rutherford and nathan nor and i'm hoping to do um episodes on rutherford and nor as well um not too deep a dive on them doctrinally just like i'm not going to do with um charles Taze russell but just kind of the dynamics around their presidency a little bit um plenty of information out on the internet on these guys so i'm not you know breaking any new ground here um okay so to mention one more book the true believer by eric hoffer Uh, he lays out a really fascinating fascinating idea around um how true believer movements really get rolling and he says this in the book on page 147 a movement is pioneered by men of words materialized by fanatics and consolidated by men of action and i read that i was like oh wow because in a way that sums up (laughs) how the uh watchtower got its start Um, I would say Charles Taze Russell was the most charismatic of the three men, uh, as a speaker, probably as a writer as well. Uh, Rutherford was the most fanatic in his take, uh, most controlling within the organization, and nor was a man of action, a super organizer, super traveler, trying to put everything um, into action and spread the good word to people all around the world. Now, of course... um, these roles you know they can be interchangeable they can exist in just one one person um so like for example a man of words could turn into a fanatic and you know so they can just manifest themselves however but i just thought it was an interesting again an interesting model to the start of the organization because i think it really paints an accurate picture of the start of it all um so that's kind of the lens i'll be thinking about um this through but i probably will do a very poor job of explaining it anyhow moving along back to charles taze russell the taze um he was born in the mid-19th century in the year 1852 um the watchtower paints um young russell as a seeker Uh, he was raised in his early life presbyterian and they say he was essentially someone that was questioning God questioning religion um, in kind of in a doubtful way it seems like his faith uh, may have been undermined by this is just a little speculation but by the death of his mother and his siblings at a young age he lost them um, and no doubt that maybe influenced him to question God it seems like that's kind of the history they paint but also it might have um, maybe motivated him to continue seeking religion, uh, seeking spirituality to fill that void. Um, anyways, he essentially at some point was going to let go of religion a little bit, but as the story goes, as you know, he would dive back in. So, um, at a young age, he, uh, kind of decided that he would just not really worry about religion and he would throw himself into business and his idea was that he could um, help people through charity if he put himself in a good uh, financial position. He could be a a philanthropist. Um, So at age 11, he started partnering with his father, and his father's haberdashery. Um, He was a haberdasher, which I believe is um, mid to late 19th century speak for a pimp. Would that be correct? Haberdasher. Oh no, I'm sorry, it was a men's clothing um store, so they were pimping out the gents there um you know uh with the clothing anyways, at age fifteen this um these stores became a growing chain, and the man, the money was rolling in. Russell was just he was living it up. no, he wasn't um unfortunately, he was doing a good job in business uh he showed an incredible. Um, skill in that regard, and then one day, uh, he's walking along, and he's kind of, you know, still in this questioning state, and he hears uh, some singing, like praise singing, coming from a dingy basement, and of course, what are you going to do? Anybody in their right mind would go down into this basement, And there, he listened to a second Adventist teacher, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. His name was Jonas Wendell. And he said, (laughs) these are like Russell's, pretty much his actual words. He's, I didn't really understand what the fuck was being said, but it was enough to convince me that the Bible and the religion is true. (laughs) And those are, I mean, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but... um, he essentially said he didn't really understand completely what was being said, but whatever it was, it struck him. Um, and he decided that he was gonna become religious. Um, it wasn't after that moment, and so at the same moment, apparently, he found his father's opium stash. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because here come the bad decisions. Um, so he started a Bible study group of his own. At age uh, 25-ish, he decided to sell off his business interests and go full-time preacher. So just think about that. Um, If it wasn't for that uh, fateful step into that basement, instead of stores being called Macy's, as we know them, there might have been just a chain of stores everywhere called Russell's. Selling britches and whatnot to people. Okay. So moving along, he's selling off his business interests and he is, um, subscribing to religious pamphlets and in touch with all these different, um, religious people. And, uh, this is kind of an interesting point here because I think this is really the basis of Charles Taze Russell's success. And that is he ends up getting connected with a guy named Nelson Barber, who's also a second Adventist. Um, And he becomes co-editor with him on Barber's pamphlet. Now, this is directly taken from the 1975 yearbook of Jehovah's Witnesses. This is their own words. And it's really important, and they don't make the connection. From his own funds, Russell contributed money to print the then nearly suspended Herald, that's the name of the magazine, becoming co-editor of the journal. Uh, um, So that says it right there. Um, almost all Second Adventist publications were always on uh, the verge of going bankrupt. But here comes this guy. He's just sold off a chain of stores. Um, you know, he's got multi... He's a multimillionaire Um At that time, he would have been. And this guy, Barber, sees this young guy who all of a sudden has a religious tick and a bunch of money. And instantly makes him a co-editor. Now, do you think, I mean, maybe he really just appreciated Russell's theology or or skills as a writer. I mean, Russell did write profusely and spoke profusely. I mean, just, yeah, tons of words, man of words again. But the fact that this guy just took him and made him a co-editor. Now, eventually they had a falling out, of course, but... Um, It was essentially Russell's financial position, in my opinion, that is the only reason we know about Charles Taze Russell. I think if he had just been middle class or even uh, like in a lower class economically, um, I don't think we'd ever heard of him. Just like most people have never heard of Nelson Barber. They're like, "Who the fuck is Nelson Barber?" Right? Um, And the Second Ventus, you know, they've obviously morphed into something else, but. Uh, Most of these guys just started something, went bankrupt, and then disappeared into history. But uh, Russell had enough funds where he wouldn't go bankrupt. So, all right, let's just talk briefly, because to understand the start of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you have to understand a little bit about the Second Adventist. Uh, Obviously, I already mentioned two of them that were having a big influence on Russell's life, Um, and there were other ones as well and russell was really um he was in a prime position geographically he was in the uh, pennsylvania uh area and uh this was kind of a part he was close by you know part of the burned over district so we're talking a time when um it was burned over in the sense that people were just preaching nonstop. like there was tent revivals and traveling preachers and all of this is going on and at the same time Uh, This is linked to a time frame called the Second Great Awakening, which was uh, rife with these kind of revivalist movements. All right, so the Second Adventists were an offshoot of the Millerites, founded by William Miller, who turned out to be a doomsday, date-setting, restorationist preacher. And um, so Miller predicted that... um, in 1843, the end of the world was coming, the rapture, and nothing. So back to the drawing table, boo, 1844 seems like it's probably it. I was just off by one year in my calculations. And that event of the end of the world not coming in 1844 was known as the Great Disappointment, which um, coincidentally is also uh, the nickname that most women give me. Um, anyways, the great disappointment happens, but the followers of Miller don't give up after he, he dies, but they continue to try to reinterpret his failed prophecies. And there's the cognitive dissonance. Um, so again, read that book when prophecy fails. Uh, this also was not unique, obviously to the second Adventist, um, Charles Taze Russell himself would take on these same tactics of making predictions, watching them fail, and then reinterpreting, reinterpreting them um, to a later date. He essentially took that out of the Second Adventist playbook. Um, and again, this time frame, Second Great Awakening. Um, there was a bunch of movements saying we are going to restore true Christianity to Earth. It's been contaminated. Um, the churches are not doing their job properly, and we're going to bring it back. We are the OG Christian church, and that was their objective. Now, um, if you, I mean, if you really want to do a deep dive, uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be that deep. Um, it depends on if you have the background of being a Jehovah's Witness. If you have that background, it's not that deep, but um, you can really go down a rabbit hole with this. So the Millerites had a Millerite, Chronology chart. And I would say, Google that and look at it, and it'll almost tell you everything you need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses because it's essentially a playbook for how Jehovah's Witnesses would run the religion. It's taking dates, taking years, um, taking numbers from the Bible, and then doing um, complex mathematics and mental gymnastics, and then pumping out predictions. And this is why. Jehovah's witnesses especially predicted that the end of the world was coming in 1914 which didn't happen and so they just found the start year some numbers they add them together and they say a day for a year carry the one subtract x yeah there it is the end 1914 october probably october 2nd we have it and another great disappointment that was awaiting them anyways so russell this is all the stuff he was doing he was um He started with Barber making predictions about when the end was coming and what time frame mankind was in in relation to the end and Jesus' return, and he just kept messing up. Now, um, (laughs) the funny thing about Russell is he, like I said, he had gotten into his father's opium stash, um, and so he was uh, open to (laughs) to suggestion by a lot of different ideas. If you look into... Um, the things he had going on. For example, um, when he predicted the end for 1914, he didn't just use the uh, Bible chronology, I use that very loosely, and numbers in the Bible. He um, actually got into pyramidology. And <laughs> so he said that the pyramids were God's stone witnesses and that you could measure different passages in the pyramid using of course the proper pyramid inch and holy shit look at this passage you measure it here 1914 pyramid inches 1914 is confirmed so he had some crazy ideas Um, I'm not going to get into all of them but essentially he became a uh, formed some of the basic ideas that stick with Jehovah's Witnesses to this day uh non-trinitarian they don't believe in the whole the trinity um they um also don't believe in hellfire they don't believe um let's see what else what else uh russell actually celebrated i think most of the holidays um he th- they didn't have a thought in their head obviously at that point in time about blood transfusions all that a lot of that stuff came later um but he had some ideas that have stuck to this day, like kind of some core uh, beliefs that stick with Jehovah's Witnesses. But most of his stuff is in the scrap heap of history, including the pyramids and all of that stuff. A lot of the chronology, the the dates, and all that stuff has just been completely washed away. And they act like um, nothing happened. <laughs> they just sweep it under the rug. And then they just roll out new stuff and call it New Light. Okay, so... Um. Oof. All right. Let's just circle back real quick because um, at one point uh, Barber uh, gets angry at God because God hasn't come on Barber's timetable. And so he writes an article saying, uh, basically saying Jesus' death doesn't mean anything. And Russell takes, he's like, no, no, this isn't it. So he fires back. Uh, another article so they start having what i guess today would be kind of kind of like a rap battle in the pages of this journal (laughs) about the value of jesus christ ransom and it didn't anyways ended up falling out completely they parted ways and that's when russell decided to start his own magazine why because he was fucking loaded remember fucking loaded so he could just leave and start his own magazine he started the watchtower in 1879 and of course Barber's Journal went bankrupt without his financial support and Russell's Watchtower remained and after that break he was no doubt grateful he could take some of him and Barber's followers with him on his side after the split. And the Watchtower magazine is still the flagship magazine of the Jehovah's Witnesses to this day. Now interestingly a little side note Russell had his wife Maria who kind of had kind of had equal rights into the magazine she could contribute articles uh she was uh, editing writing and at some point uh russell realized she had a vagina and that got shut down (laughs) so he, he thought she had too much power and they then had a falling out they got a divorce at that time uh he she kind of accused him of some scandalous behavior with some other women which is quite possible And then Russell was just essentially on his own with a a group of dudes he had, just like some editors and stuff like that. Um, They had like kind of their little corporate committee there for the Watchtower. And so they were just, uh, basically Russell was writing everything, tons of books, pumping out books, uh, and just volumes upon volumes upon volumes of mostly nonsense. Um, but definitely a man of words. He also would travel around and debate people on uh, stage because people used to, <laughs> used to be interested in that, watching religious debate. I guess it still happens sometimes today. But um, Yeah, so he would get up and argue of why Hellfire doesn't exist or why the Trinity isn't um, true or why the soul isn't immortal. Um, all those ideas he had and... He was also appearing in newspaper articles and um, paying for newspaper ads and all kinds of crazy stuff. So he was just going after it. Um, Now, the thing is, is that shortly after his 1914 debacle, um, as far as I can tell, he just kind of thought his prophecy had failed. Um, and it would be... Boy, I'm hoping I'm getting this right. It seems like it was reinterpreted after his death that um, he actually predicted uh, <laughs> something invisible in heaven happening. <laughs> Just to kind of cover the tracks. Um, what really saved Russell at that point um, with that failure of prophecy was World War I. So he predicted the end of the world 1914 and of course um, World War one breaks out that year so at first they thought he was right it was confirming what he thought might be happening um, and but he knew that what he had actually predicted wasn't happening um, but he died in 1916. he was out on a train doing a tour doing a convention tour and he died in 1916 so um and then at that point there was a power struggle which we'll get into later and he was succeeded by joseph rutherford judge dread no judge rutherford um even though he wasn't really that much of a judge okay so a couple other things real quick um (laughs) uh, he had he, he would actually like back in the day they would put ads in the magazines and so he advertised for a product called miracle wheat and i believe that was supposed to be some (laughs) super fast growing wheat that was going to cure hunger and of course he was selling it by the bushel to people which he later um denied outright um and then again like just some of of course there were some accusations at least that he had been unfaithful in his marriage um, no one's really sure. Um now here if if <laughs> whether you've been you know if you haven't been a Jehovah's Witness, you need to know this fact is that um Charles Taze Russell made something called the photodrama of creation. And why? Because he was fucking loaded. Don't forget. All this stuff is because he had funds and money. And at the same time, he start obviously was starting to make money off. Uh, his small group of followers as well. but So he makes like this day-long production. And I think it's the first time that moving picture movies were synchronized with sound instead of like the old silent movies. I mean, this is like, I mean... This is really his greatest contribution to mankind. if that if this is 100% true and I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I we'll want to fact check this because I'm too lazy to do it. But can you imagine that? Like n- I every time I turn on a movie or TV, I'm like, thank fucking God for Charles Taze Russell because otherwise it'd probably be all be in subtitles with just some some circus music playing in the background. But now, no, I get to watch synchronized sound with the picture. Thank you to the Taze. Okay, that's my episode on Charles Taze Russell. It's a bunch of useless information. Um, he There was a lot of creature worship that grew up around him. Uh, they were they actually called his followers the Russellites. Um, and he half turned down the creature worship, half accepted it. But um, yeah, it kind of seems like it went to his head towards the end a little bit too much. And so Charles Taze Russell, again, died in 1916 after many failed predictions and reinterpretations and more failed predictions. And he never got to see the end of the world. So that is the man of words. Okay. So next time we will talk about the fanatic Rutherford, when I do another uh, episode on the presidents of the Watchtower, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram at Armageddon Podcast, follow the podcast, or via Gmail, Armageddon Podcast at Gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you all very soon.